This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. Charles Spurgeon once said, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in this world. And yet not only are many Christians fearful about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not all of us even believe it's necessary. You'll remember that not too long ago, Barna Research reported that 47% of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share your faith. Yet the Bible says in Romans 10, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how can we share our faith in Christ confidently? We're going to get some help with that today from apologist, author, TV host, and popular speaker, Ray Comfort. He addresses this in his latest book called Anyone But Me, 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fear and Be Prepared to Share the Gospel. Ray, so good to welcome you back. How are you? I'm wonderful. Hey, you think about that beautiful feet verse and It's a bit embarrassing, but flick your shoes off and look at your feet. They're kind of ugly, especially the reject jelly bean at the end, you know, the little (laughs) pinky one. (laughs) And and that's, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, But God says uh, even our feet, our lowly, smelly, ugly feet are beautiful if we preach the gospel. So, uh, uh, you know, the the Great Commission is actually a reproach on the body of Christ. (laughs) And if we found a cure to cancer... We shouldn't be commanded to take it to those who are suffering. We should just run to it. And yet we're being commanded to preach the gospel of everlasting life to every creature because we won't go. We're we're chickens. uh, We do say anyone but me, and that includes me also. That now see now that's hard for me to believe because you are the evangelist extraordinaire. I mean, how many videos have we all watched of you sharing the gospel and confronting people with the law and showing them that they're liars and adulterers and all the rest, so they will see their need for Christ? How could you be fearful, or why have you been fearful about evangelism? Because I'm so proud and I, I hate rejection. I'm, I'm not kidding. If I'm walking through Home Depot or somewhere like that, or Walmart, and I see someone in front of me, I look at track, and they say no. I just want to get on my knees and say, please, please don't do this. This is hurting my poor little soul. I hate being rejected. That's how I feel on the inside, and it's just crazy. We're so fearful of rejection. And when it's not going to happen like it happened with Stephen or James, who was beheaded, or the martyrs down to history. We're pretty safe in this country. And all that we, all that we fear is the fear of man, the rejection thing. And we've just got to get it under control. And i gotta, I got to say this, that every... A little old lady looks like a Goliath to me as I go out to share the gospel with her. I'm not kidding. Wow. It's always that imagination in my mind. She's just going to hate me for this if I mention the things of God. And yet 87% of Americans want under God kept in the Pledge of Allegiance. There's only a few that are verbal and nasty. And, and so what you do is you just don't think of yourself. You think of the fate of the person you want to share the gospel with. 
Uh, their fate is hell. Mine is the fear of rejection. There's no comparison whatsoever. And that causes the Goliath to shrink down into a Zacchaeus. Yeah. And saying, okay, I, c- I can do this. It's the same as a firefighter. sees a lady with three kids clinging to her on the fifth floor with flames behind her. He's got to get up that ladder. He's got to reach out and take hold of the kids. Is he terrified? Absolutely. But what he's doing is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of that woman and her fate and those children in her arms. And that's what we've got to do. Think of the fate of the ungodly. Yeah, that's what gives you courage is if your love is more you know, prominent than your fear. And I mean, this is what you get into, Ray, when you're talking in your book about the most important qualities that we have to develop in order to be effective in sharing the gospel. The first one you mentioned is being loving and tying this, of course, to 1 Corinthians 13. That's exactly what our motivation ought to be for evangelism. But why does that love not show up in our actions in going out and sharing the gospel more than we do? Well, I know why it shows up in mine. Um, the Bible says, he that's forgiven much, the same loves much. Before I was a Christian, I was a nice, clean, upstanding businessman on the outside. On the inside, I was burning with unlawful sexual desire. Every woman I looked at, I just lusted after, like every other red-blooded guy. And if God had brought that out on Judgment Day, I could be justly damned to hell. And I know that, and I'm so, so thankful. One word that I find really annoying about the English language is the word grateful. When I want to, want to say how grateful I am for, for God saving me, I said, Lord, I'm so grateful. It doesn't cut the mustard, you know? Yeah. The, the Apostle Paul said, thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. He's granted everlasting life to me. And so what I can't put into words, I put into works. I said, Lord, I can't express how grateful I am. But I'm going to show you how grateful I am by doing what you want. And not only that, I'm doing it because I love people. Like the thought of anyone ending up in hell horrifies me. We've become a, a nation that's just given to darkness of, you know, killing children in the womb, uh, uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, blasphemy, pornography. Uh, the whole nation is given to it. And if we care about them and their fate, we've got to run to them and take the light to those who are in the darkness, in the shadow of death. Well, you're right about that. What's interesting to me is the world has a very different definition of love than we do. When you mention the LGBT aspect of things, that they'll talk about love wins. And I'm thinking, but that's not love for me to say that your sin is something that is wonderful and ought to be celebrated. And that's true of any sin, but that's the slogan that immediately came to mind. Can you talk a little bit about the difference of when we look at what love is from the Lord's perspective versus what the world sometimes calls love? Yeah, love is patient, kind, never jealous, selfish, proud, or rude. You know, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I-, I hear some Christians say, you know, marriage is hard, you've got to work at it. Well, I haven't had to work at it. I find it quite easy to love my wife, and love is what makes me back down when I want my own way. And I do want my own way. Sometimes I have an idea, and still say, no, that's not a good idea, and I want to just let the fur go up on the back and say, no, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. That's what can wreck a marriage. When you become a Christian, you say, not my will, but yours be done. So every decision I make, I should look to God for his approval or disapproval, whether it's a small decision, whether it's a big decision, whether it's going to the fridge, small decision to have another 16 you know, uh, roast potatoes, <clears throat> or a big decision to look at the lady next door, whatever. I've got to give them both to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because that's what a Christian is. And he would have us warn <clears throat> the lost of their fate, and that takes courage, and that takes love. I'm going to talk to a, a homosexual, a gay person, and say, you know, the Bible says homosexuals are not here at the kingdom of God, but I have one thing on my side. That's the power of reason 
and the conscience. And the other thing is the will to live. I know the homosexual doesn't want to die. He's got something in him that says, oh, I don't want to die. That's his God-given will to live. God's placed eternity on his heart. That's one thing I'm going to appeal to. And the other thing is his conscience, that inner knowledge of right and wrong. And when he says to me, I was born a homosexual, I say, well, I was born an adulterer. From the moment I can remember, I looked at the lady next door and thought, boy, I'd love to go to bed with her. She's just gorgeous. I said, but it doesn't make it right just because I've got that inclination to do that, which my heart desires. Mm. You know, and, and, and it's all sin, and here's a list of what God considers sin. Be not deceived, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, well, I'm here at the kingdom of God, and I point out that word idolatry, which is the third one in, which is the sin of making God in your own image, which is what we tend to do. We say, well, God is a God of love, and he's a God of mercy, and we paint this kind of great big sort of cuddly, snuggly teddy bear that has no sense of justice yeah. or truth. Yeah. But the Bible says when we get a great, right understanding of God's nature and character, idolaters, adulterers, and fornicators, and thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if I love a homosexual, I love an adulterer, I love a liar, a thief, idolater, I've got to speak the truth in love, and he can hear love in my tongue, and that's what I'm aiming at. I don't want him to think that I'm condescending and I hate him. No, I love him, and that's the reason I warn. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and this is very much tied to where we go when we die, Ray. This is not much something people want to talk about today, but if we know and believe what the Word of God says about there being an eternal hell, then we should love people enough to give them the good news that will prevent them from going there. This is just kind of, to me, evangelism 101, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. Yeah, we tend to fight the symptoms rather than the cause. And I know that when I became a Christian, <clears throat> everything in my heart that was inclined to do bad suddenly wanted to do good. I began to thirst for righteousness, which is a miracle. God gives you a personal miracle. Remember the Pharisees said, give us a sign. And Jesus said, no sign to be given, but the sign of Jonah. What's that got to do anything? Yeah, that's right. Ray, hang on one second. Hold that thought. I'm so sorry. We've got to run to a very quick break. We'll come back with Ray Comfort. Anyone but me is his book. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. For those of us who live in America, it may be hard to believe, but there are people in the country of Lebanon who have never heard about Jesus. That's exactly why Heart for Lebanon is there, working in the nation that's home to more than two million Syrian refugee families who have arrived there to escape civil war and terrorism. But every day, Heart for Lebanon is there, reaching out to these needy families in Jesus' name, telling them about him and providing food, Christian education, and survival essentials. And the Lord is changing their lives. Let me tell you about one of those refugees, Hanifa, who is 10 years old. She lost her mother when she was just a toddler, but Heart for Lebanon met her as they were delivering food portions to her family. With no opportunity for formal education, Hanifa wakes her father up early in the morning when Heart for Lebanon's educational fun truck is scheduled to arrive. Recently, during a skit about God's love, Hanifa placed her faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And now, because her father is illiterate, she's reading the Bible to him each evening. This family, although currently living in very tough times, is slowly starting to realize the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only reaches them because people like you give to get the gospel to them. Your single investment of just $116 helps someone like Hanifa and her family with supplies needed to survive the 
the next four months and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. Perhaps you could help a family like this for an entire year by joining our Hope Provider team at just $29 a month. Whatever you can do, please call now. 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com. These families need immediate help. More than that, they need Jesus and they need you. Please call now. The number is 888-247-5499. That number again, 888-247-5499. Thank you and God bless you for your generosity. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. And great to have with us Ray Comfort, apologist, author, TV host, and popular speaker. Also prolific author. Anyone but me is his latest 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gospel. You were discussing just before we went to the break there, Ray, about the issue of hell and how hell should be a motivator for us to want to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors. And you had mentioned this demand on Jesus about give us a sign and how he did not. He said a very strange thing. He said, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. And he talked about Jonah for a minute. And we know that Jonah is a type of Christ being swallowed by death and then resurrected. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. The sign that God will give you if you're seeking a sign is a personal miracle. He will take you and make you a brand new creature on the inside. You see, if God gave us a a vision or something like that, all it would take is someone to talk us out of the vision because the visions conver- converted us to intellectually thinking a certain way, that, oh, yeah, this must be real. But when God changes you on the inside, nothing will unconvince you of it because it's an experience where God causes you to be born again. Yeah. The first time I was born, it was radical. Didn't exist. <clears throat> Suddenly I did. Being born again was just as radical And the miracle is that God took me, a sin-loving sinner that drunk iniquity like water, whose eyes were filled with adultery, and overnight caused me to thirst after righteousness. And I've been doing that for 48 years, just wanting to do that which is right. I didn't convince myself to do that. God transformed me and wrote his law upon my heart and caused me to walk in his statutes. That's what this nation needs. A transformation of the heart so there's no more racism, no more adultery, no more lying or stealing or fornication or blasphemy. All these things pass away when God makes you a new creature in Christ. And that's that's the fruit of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is to save us from wrath to come. That's why we become Christians. But the fruit of the gospel is that we will live in righteousness. That's what America needs. We're a nation that's been given to darkness, and we're seeing that the bad fruit because of it. Oh, amen. We've never needed the gospel more than we need it right now. I agree with you there, Ray. You talk about a a wonderful passage of scripture. Everybody will know it's one of my favorites, and that is Ephesians chapter six, especially from verses 10 on talking about the armor of God. It's kind of the basis for some of these qualities we need to have. And you mentioned obedience and also wind into that Samson's strength, because here we have this reference to being strong in the Lord preceded by the word finally. So talk about this a little bit. Yeah, Paul in uh, Ephesians 6 is talking about the fact we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, if the world would uh, just believe God's word, we'd have answers to every question. All these illnesses where people have got personalities living within them, the Bible makes it clear. They say he had his demons, 
Well, we take that literally. It's not just metaphorical. There is a demonic world, and the Bible says the God of this world, Satan, came to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's happening throughout the whole of the world every day. He kills, steals, and destroys because people serve sin. And the Bible says he walks about as a warring lion seeking whom he may devour. <laughs> if you're in Satan's territory, if you're serving sin, he may. He has permission to devour you because he has the power of death over you. And so Paul gives us the answer to this. He says, finally, finally, my brethren, take on the whole armor of God. Above all, taking the shield of faith, trust in God. You know, we trust our pilots when we get onto a plane. We don't go and smell their breath when we used to get on planes. <laughs> we trust our doctors uh, when they give us pills. We trust pharmaceutical companies with our life. We don't say, I want this tested before I'll swallow it. No, we take two every three hours, just as doctors said, we trust our lives. And yet, doctors bury their mistakes. A lot of people have died because their faith has been in a doctor who didn't know what he was doing. And so all around us, we trust elevators, we trust our brakes, we trust uh, lights and signals. When you come up to an intersection, it says green. You don't know if the other guy coming the other direction's light says green, and it often happens. You can see it on YouTube, where two lights are stuck on green and cars meet in the middle and people die because their faith is misdirected. All these things can let us down but the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. That means you can trust him with your eternal salvation because he cannot lie. All these things, uh, pilots and doctors and lights and elevators, can seriously uh, take our lives because we've had faith in, a, in the wrong direction. But God will never let us down. And that's the, that's the above all that Paul is talking about. Trust in the Lord during coronavirus. Keep your eyes on him. Don't look at what's happening. You know, I watch the news sometimes and I regret it because they have taken when it bleeds, when it bleeds, it leads to the nth degree. Every bit of news is horrible nowadays. And you think, how can these people read the news without crying? They're great actors. And uh, it's all happening because we have uh, forsaken God and his word, turn our back on the law of God, those Ten Commandments that that, uh, Israel continually turn their back on and straight into idolatry and then gave themselves to sexual sin. That's all that's happened to this nation. And we now aren't uh, going to be under God's anger. We are we are under God's anger. We've got, a, we've got a plague on our hands, and God's into giving plagues. If you look at what he did to Egypt, he gave ten in a row, and the last one was a killer plague. Yep. And so to say God's too nice to send a plague on America is just not biblical. You've got to see where he many times said to Israel under even David, he said, what do you want, a plague, or do you want this or that, your enemies to chase you? And the only answer is to seek God and say, God, forgive us as a nation, heal us and transform us through the power of the gospel. That's right. Well, well, you know, something else that you discuss is defiance and fighting the real enemy. You touched on that just a moment ago, that we are not warring against people. This is something I think we sometimes forget. If we see somebody who's particularly nasty or particularly argumentative or hostile, you've seen a lot of these people in your own line of work, Ray. How do you get your focus on the fact that there is a spiritual war going on for men and women's souls and that we need to remember that when we are sharing the gospel with sometimes hostile people? Yeah, the the verse I take to heart is love your enemies do good to those that despitely use you, despitely use you, and I really take that to heart. Some guy, uh, an atheist in Chicago, um, had the police come round to my home and investigate me for um, 
threatening to sacrifice my children yeah. uh, to the Lord. <laughs> and these two officers came in homes who had a complaint, and they said, where's your children? I said, they're all married with kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the officer looked at my, uh, uh, my uh, computer and saw all the atheists that hate me, and they just laughed and left. But I found out who that guy was. I had our lawyers find out who he was, and I sent him a gift basket. Hmm. And that's what I continually like to do because that's what we're commanded to do and have that thought in mind. This person is blinded by Satan. He doesn't know what he's saying. And imagine him, instead of as a Saul of Tarsus, imagine him as the Apostle Paul. That's good. When you see someone who's angry and creating havoc within the church, just imagine what's going to this person's going to be like when they're transformed by the power of God. That helps me uh, to overcome my prejudices and uh, and and let love's God flow through me and and show them kindness and gentleness. I really like that, and that's sometimes the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. I am sure <laughs> you want to send them a you want to send them a fruit basket. Uh, and it probably wasn't the first thought in your head about what you might want to do to somebody who oh, treats I'd you like, like that. Send them. I'd like to take them to court. There you go. of character, but I thought no, I'll give it to God. And that's what Jesus did. He committed himself to Him who judges righteously. Good. And that's what we do. I said, Lord, this guy is horrible, but I'm just going to give him into your hands and do what you say and show him love. And, and the other thing I do is I take Luke 6 to heart. When something absolutely horrible happens to me, um, someone says something that's not true and I can't kind of stop it or even take it public because it's going to make it worse. I, what Jesus said, if men revile you and curse you, say, oh, man of evil against you falsely, rejoice and be exceeding glad, leap for joy. <laughs> so I get in my office and I physically leap for joy. I can't get too high off the ground because I'm now 70. <laughs> but I do that. I do a physical leap for joy because Jesus said to do it and it makes me laugh and one day I did do that and there was a knock on my door and said the person at the door said hey someone's just given the ministry $20,000 and I thought man I wish I'd left higher <laughs> and, <laughs> next time <laughs> yeah next time I will uh, yeah it makes no sense to the world but it makes sense to us because we live for God and not for uh, for the world and he's given us an instruction book and one thing that's a flaw in my character is when I buy something that needs to be put together, I tend to not look at the instructions. I hate them. They're too small. They're in a foreign language sometimes. do not make sense. And I give it a go myself and make a mess of it, and then I have to search the instructions, and that's what's happened to the world. The Bible's the instruction book, and we've gone our own way and made a mess of things. Yeah, that's right. What about the aspect that you discuss concerning faithfulness? Clearly, we've talked, I know, before in previous interviews about what the gospel is, how to share the gospel. It's really important, as you say, to share Sinai before you share Calvary, so it means something to the sinner who hasn't yet confronted his own sin. But what about our faithfulness as Christians? How important is that, Ray, to the task of evangelism? Yeah, I saw the other day uh, on our YouTube channel, a lady made a comment, say, I went out and did what Ray said, I imitated, I watched a lot of these videos, and it couldn't have gone worse. <laughs> she said, the person just said, I've never lied or stolen, ever. <laughs> and, uh, and she was just so self-righteous. And then this person that had been faithful came back and said, I just feel so miserable. And I wrote back and said, don't, because you have been faithful. That's what God sees. Many times I put my foot in my mouth. Many times I meet a hard-hearted self-righteous person, but that's how we learn. You know, you learn to walk, you don't remember it, but you've got bruises, you got up from your crawling, you didn't want to crawl the rest of your life, so you started walking, and you fell over, and, and, and it's the pain that caused you to, um, to learn. So I'm not going to do that again as a little kid, I'm not going to climb up on that shelf again because I fell over and hurt myself. And that's how we learn, and I've got a stack of bruises from when I first started witnessing. 
My mouth has had my foot in it many times. I've said things that are wrong, but they've realized that God doesn't want success. He handles that side. He wants faithfulness. Amen. And uh, prove yourself to be true and faithful and say, Lord, I made a mess of that, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to get up and walk because I want to reach the lost. This isn't about, you know, I'm not a plumber. I'm not, you know, a carpenter. This is for the kingdom of God. This is... This is something that's eternal. It's not temporal. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing because you've told me to, that's and I want to show myself to be faithful. I love it. Well, you can learn a lot about evangelism from Ray Comfort. Anyone but me is the name of the book. Livingwaters.com is the website. Ray, as always, wonderful to talk to you. God bless you. Thank you, Janet. God bless. Bye bye. Thank you for being here. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford Today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells us two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Well, this is a great description of a good friendship. Two people who make each other better and help one another in times of need. What does it mean to have a good friend and to be a good friend? We're going to explore it today with Michelle Howe. She is joining me now to talk about her book called Navigating the Friendship Maze. Michelle, welcome. So good to have you with us. Thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. Will you talk about a biblical friendship? What exactly is a biblical friendship? How would you define that? You know, people define it different ways, but I would say I go to two different passages of Scripture immediately, and I think of Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, where it discusses the fruits of the Spirit. You know, that each of us should always be growing in our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all those different wonderful characteristics that the Holy Spirit's always developing in us. And the second passage is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You know, and it isn't just about friendships, but just in general, are we exhibiting patience? kindness, not being envious. We don't boast. We're not proud. We're not self-seeking. You can really study each one of these characteristics and attributes and say, am I, you know, growing in those areas and am I exhibiting those verbally and with actions toward the people that I call my friends? You know, and I think you really have to do a self-check pretty often to say, hey, you know, I want to be that kind of friend to somebody else. And I want those kind of friends building into my life as well. Right. Well, it's interesting. This whole concept of friendship becomes a little complicated in the digital age. I have a lot of friends from many, many years that I've had them around and we are mainly in contact digitally just because of the pace of life. But I've heard a lot of women comment on the fact that it's hard at a certain stage in life, maybe when you have small children or your kids get a little bit older, it's harder and harder to find a good friend. Have you talked to women about that issue, about the difficulty of making friends as you get older and how it's just more challenging sometimes because of time constraints? Absolutely. And I think what you just said at the outset is it's ironically social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter 
Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and all those different, you know, sites that you can get on multiple times a day can make you feel that you're connected to people you care about. They can, because I can get on and see what my cousin in Texas is doing, what his grandkids are doing, you know, and feel like, oh, I have a real bead on what's happening in his life. But, you know, nothing replaces sitting across from the table or, you know, looking at someone in their eyes, sharing a cup of coffee or a meal, and really honing in on what they're not saying, as mm. well as what they're saying, you know, really looking at those nonverbal cues. I mean, that's when you're developing a real good relationship with somebody. And I agree, the busier we get, the more we can kid ourselves into thinking, well, I have, you know, all these Facebook friends, or I'm on Instagram, <laughs> and I can see what everybody's doing. But it doesn't replace real-life interaction. And, you know, moms with kids, you know, I was there, I had four little kids, and, you know, I, I couldn't keep up with my kids hardly, let alone keep developing new friendships. And then my kids got into junior high and high school and college, and now they're all grown and gone. However, my life is just as busy. So it's not ever going to change. We're never not going to be busy. And I think we just have to prioritize relationships. Yes, I agree. Because just because they call them Facebook friends doesn't mean they're all friends. You can't have 900 friends. It's just not possible to have that kind of deep level of friendship with that many people. And that's part of the problem, too. I think for a lot of Christian women, they want a deep friendship. They don't just want a series of shallow you know, associations with other women where you're not really getting to the heart of it. What advice would you give to women about making a really good friend and setting, you know, down the, 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 all of the factors for being able to develop a deep friendship? Well, I think the first thing is you have to become and grow into the kind of friend you want. You know, you've got to be that person first. You know, I see a lot of women who say, I just can't make friends. And I'll, I'll start saying, well, have you invited anybody over to your home? Have you invited anybody out for coffee? Have you exercised with anybody? I mean, in your volunteer activities, have you tried to, you know, offer the hand, hand of friendship to any of those women that you think you might click with? And, you know, a lot of times they'll say, no, no, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. And then I'll say, well... You have to make the overture because, you know, often we always assume everybody's so busy, they don't have time for me. Well, if you become that friendly friend, you'll find that friends will start coming into your life. And then let's say you just moved to a new city and you really don't know many people and you get into a church, you know, you talk to the pastor, you talk to the women's leader, and they pretty much have an idea of who makes up their congregation, who's coming every week, and, you know, just share your heart and say, hey, I'm looking for deep, good friendships, you know, those iron sharpening iron friendships, and, you know, they will help you because they want the people that, you know, they're, that are under them and with them to, to develop strong relationships as well. Right. Well, then what what should you look for in a friend? I think sometimes this can be extremely subjective, but what would you advise a woman to look for if she's in that stage of life where maybe she's moved to a new town and she's trying to meet some new people and maybe, you know, this is a difficult thing to start just from from scratch trying to find a new friend. What do you look for in somebody that you want to be friends with? You know, I think you've got to look at friendships as, as relationships that you want to go the distance of your life as possible. And that means when you're just, you know, uh, hanging around people, no matter where you're at, you kind of pay attention. You watch how they're interacting with others. And I'll never forget what Paul Tripp said. He said, people will reveal to you who they are if you watch them carefully and long enough. Because a person who, let's say, is disloyal or backbiting or selfish or even hateful, if you see them 
acting that way toward others, you can guarantee that if you get in a relationship with them, eventually those bad behaviors will fall on you. And we always like to think, no, we're the exception. If we tread carefully, if we're sensitive to their, you know, touchy issues, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't happen. After a while, we, be, you know, that, that real person just tends to come out. So that's kind of a warning, you know, red bell kind of thing. You're just, just be an observer for a bit and watch. But also ask yourself, what women can you admire? What women have their focus of really honoring the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out? You know, that long obedience in the same direction. Watch for those women. And if you can get excited about being in their presence, you know, it might be an older woman, it might be a peer, it might be a younger gal. It really doesn't matter about their age. Just keep saying, hey, are we on the same trajectory in life? And, you know, those kind of women will stand out to you. Right. Should you necessarily look for somebody who's like you or maybe for somebody who's not so much like you, who would be more of a compliment to your personality? Well, I like to think of my husband. We're, we're alike but different, and we're going to be almost married 34 years. But oh. I will tell you that. He's strong where I'm weak, and I'm strong where he's weak. So in that same kind of relationship, you want friends who are not your mirror images because, you know, I like to be around people who are different than me because they help me laugh more. I mean, I tend to be too serious. I'm an introvert. So I've got several friends who are extroverts, and you know what? They lighten me up, and I need that. I need to be able to laugh and have fun more than I do. So, you know, look for friends who, like you said, compliment you. You know, my strength through your weakness and vice versa. And also when you get a variety of friends with different personalities and different gifts and talents, you know, it really adds a richness to your life rather than if you're just trying to pick little clones of you out mm-hmm. where you can have this little tight-knit community where no one disagrees with anybody and you're all kind of the same, you really can get stuck. And, you know, God created us so different and beautifully different that I think, uh, you know, diversity is just a wonderful thing in friendships. Well, it is. Now, another thing that you address is the concept of frenemies. Who would be a frenemy and how do you avoid those frenemies? Well, you know, first you have to identify this kind of person. And I remember years ago having a gal that I would have called my friend, but every time I left her presence, I felt shamed. I felt like I wasn't a good enough wife, not a good enough mother. I wasn't making good ministry choices. You know, I just was never enough. And I remember my husband saying to me, every time you leave her presence, you're in a bad mood. Hmm. Why? Hmm. And he kind of helped me unpack that because I never saw her as a friend of me. But, you know, after I really kind of stepped back and I started looking at the kind of conversations we had and how she really um, brought me down, and I'm a pretty strong personality, so it took a lot for her to consistently just, you know, douse the flames on whatever idea I had or just any ideas, you know, that I was just tossing around with her. I thought, you know, that is not a good friend because my, my good friends, you know, will listen to me, you know, see the good, bad, and the ugly, but they'll always say, okay, I get what you're feeling. I understand your struggle, but here's what God's Word says. Let's work on it together. And they buoy you up. And you said iron sharpening iron. You know, you can be honest with each other. Not that you are correcting one another all the time, but if it needs to happen, boy, your good friends are the ones who can handle doing it. I love it. Michelle Howe is with us navigating the friendship maze, and we'll come back on Janet Meffer today. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. 
This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something God gave me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of 2019. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at janetmefford.com. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thank you for being with us. And my guest is Michelle Howe, author of Navigating the Friendship Maze, The Search for Authentic Friendship. And I think we can all relate to this. You really want to be able to find good, lifelong friends if you can. And sometimes it's easier said than done. But Michelle is giving us some good tips. One of the things you talk about in your book, Michelle, is the issue of principles for every friendship. What are you talking about there, the two principles? You know, I, I'd like, like as I said earlier, I really like women to think about trying to develop relationships that can go, you know, for the, the long haul of life. Not a little sprint, but a marathon. You know, an, an enduring friendship, a biblical friendship means that you don't only stand the test of time, they stand the test of forgiving one another, hmm. of helping one another, of biblically challenging one another, you know, of enduring hardship and disappointment together as well as the flip side as enjoying all the wonderful bonuses of life, like celebrating and laughing and enjoying leisure activity. You know, it's doing all of life together, good, bad, and everything in between with honesty, with integrity, and with the transparency that, you know, you can kind of look at your friend and you don't always even need to talk. You just get each other. Right. And that's what a lot of a great peer peer friendship is because you're in the same season, you're battling the same challenges, maybe in your marriage and with your kids or vocationally or in your ministry, whatever it is, you just kind of get each other. But, you know, I, I like to encourage women to not give up on women who've hurt them. And this isn't about a frenemy. This is about somebody who maybe misspoke or maybe said something harsh to you or maybe disagreed with you or even, you know, you felt maybe was a little disloyal. You, know, you got to try and work through those things because every relationship is going to have its bumps and bruises. And you can't just say hit the road to everybody who hurts you because 
you know, I unintentionally hurt people. People unintentionally hurt me. It's part of being human and we're sinful creatures. So we have to be able to say, okay, let's talk about this and really, you know, wrestle through to the other side where we can have a stronger relationship than before the conflict even began. I think that's good advice because I I have seen this throughout my life and some of my friends have told me stories about this where they'll make one wrong move and then the woman cuts them off. (laughs) They're not friends anymore. And then what that leads to is the woman saying, well, I'm not going to trust any more women. I mean, women can be very hard on each other in a way that we're not necessarily as hard on men. Um, You know, the sense of betrayal or somebody said something mean about me, these sorts of things. Why do you think it is, even with Christian women sometimes, that we're not willing to forgive? We're not willing to give somebody a break and say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect either. I think with the kind of emotions that the Lord has put inside of us, because we can love big, that when we're hurt big, it's hard. And yeah. we're, yep. we, our hearts really break, you know, they really break. And we just think, golly, how could she have thought that about me? Or how could she have sided with so-and-so against me and not even talk to me about it? And it is a woundedness that we really feel. But then when we, you know, cry our little eyes out, go to the Lord, He gives us grace. And he always gives us grace to go back to that person gently and kindly and at least say, hey, can we talk about this? Because I think more often than not, the other person doesn't even know they wounded us. True. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I can say things and then not even get what I was saying until my husband says, uh, you sounded a little harsh right there. And I'm like, I did? I'm feeling harsh. <laughs> I didn't I mean it. Rushing. You know. Yeah. Well, that's true. And and again, going back to this principle of being a good friend, I think that's the right place to start because we can't control other people, but we certainly can work on ourselves and spend time with the Lord and, and really be cognizant of those passages you talked about before Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit and the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What would you advise Christian women to do on becoming a friend who goes the distance with other friends, how do I become that sort of a friend? Well, you know, I think we all have to invest ourselves into knowing what God's Word says. And how do we do that? We read God's Word. Yes. We pray. We meditate on verses that maybe we're struggling. Maybe I'm a super impatient person. I'm type A. I want to get things done. You know, I start pulling out portions of Scripture that will help me see a bigger perspective. You know, seeing, you know, that mercy always triumphs over judgment, you know, and that, you know, I need to be patient and kind and gentle when I'm with others and really helping the Lord to renew my mind and how I respond and how I think about hot button topics in my life that are struggles for me. I mean, I can always get the real truth from my husband because he'll tell me and we'll, <laughs> I'll tell him. But, you know, it's different when a friend can say, you know what, I really see you're struggling with this. Why are you so irritable right now? Why, why, why? And then, you know, more often than that, I can just say, you know what, you're right, because I have 50 things I'm thinking about right now, and I haven't been sleeping, and I haven't been, you know, giving God a priority. So the first thing is, you know, we have to to develop our relationship with the Lord first, Yes. you know, and really ask Him with a humble heart, show me who I really am. Not who I think I am, but who am I really? You know, we start with ourselves, and then we start branching out, and we start, you know, making a list of all the friends that we already have. You know, and kind of just praying over each name and say, Lord, you know, how can I do better? Or where do, where do I struggle with this woman yet? Or where does she struggle with me? How can we work through this? How can we be stronger as a team than as individuals? And, it, you know, it takes time. And I think we all, as Americans, want everything done fast food style. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. Our whole life we are going to be learning and growing and maturing. And we need to take this as, you know, a life 
long project for ourselves and for others. Right. Well, one of the other things that you talk about is this issue of speaking the word of truth out loud and often. Now, clearly you have to get to a certain stage of the friendship where you can get away with that. If you just met a woman and then you exhort her, she might never want to talk to you again. But how how Mm -hmm. do you do that when you are friends with another woman and you really need to speak the truth in love? How do you decide when is the time to do that and what is the right way to bring that about without losing your friend in the process? Well, I have several chapters in the book that really kind of uh, dialogue through this because I had several friends when I was a younger mom and, and even most recently who did speak into my life. You know, I had some blind spots that I literally wasn't aware of. And I remember the first time a friend, and I'd been a friend with her for a long time, but she said something to me about, I I shouldn't have spoken that way about a family member. And it took me aback because it was clear that my family member was sinning and and I had been sinned against and I wanted sympathy. And she loved me enough to say, you know what, I understand how you're feeling. But you know what, you're not going to get anywhere by being bitter or becoming angry. It'll eat you up. It'll ruin every relationship you have. And, And I was able to, you know, process it. But it took me a bit to get through it. And I will say, you, as you just pointed out, you can't do this with a new friend. And you shouldn't, because I think we really earn the right to speak truth into somebody's life. We really do. Right. And the friends who have been able to do that in my life, I know they love me. I know they want what's best for me in my marriage, with my kids, with my grandkids, you know, whatever I'm doing, they are looking at my life and saying, you know what, I see this area and I don't think you would like it if you were looking at it. Let me help you travel through it to the other side. You know, and I think we all have to be, you know, asking the Lord for humility. You know, help me to be teachable. Help me to be, you know, responsive to someone when they're speaking truth into my life, and it's biblical. Now, there's a flip side to that. You'll have people who will not speak biblical truth into your life, but they will try to bring you down. And again, that's an, that's an unhealthy friendship, yes. an unhealthy relationship. And you have to be discerning enough to tell the difference. Well, the other thing that I enjoyed in the book was the kind of friend every woman needs. And you actually give some advice that women should have different types of friends, maybe older friends, younger friends. You have some peers. Why is it important, do you think, to have different kinds of women friends? Well, I I believe every woman and every man should have somebody that they can look at as a mentor. Maybe they're not meeting with them you know, regularly or consistently, but somebody that you look at farther along in life that you can go to when you need advice, when you need counsel, when you're not sure, and you know that their life is one that's honorable and, you know, just Christ-honoring all the way through, and you pick their brain, and then they just share with you, hey, I did this right, I did this wrong, and here's what I would do if I were you. So you need somebody who's just a little bit farther along in life. And then you need peers. As we said earlier, somebody that you can look at, don't even always need to say anything and just laugh together because you get it. You're both in the same trench at the same time, and you kind of just spur each other on and say, okay, we're right in the middle of this together. We can, you know, give each other pep talks along the way. And then third, we all need somebody to build into, which is somebody a little bit, you know, you know, younger. Maybe it's a mom who's just gone through an unwanted divorce. Maybe, you know, it's a a young widow. Maybe it's a single gal who just longs to be married. Whatever, you can help her see what's good in her life and capitalize on it and help her, you know, build contentment and purpose and give her tips along the way and say, hey, I was you 15 years ago, and God got me through that, and he's faithful. You know, you build on your own remembrances of God's faithfulness, and you place them into someone else's heart. 
that's really good advice because wherever you are in life, you have somebody you still need to learn from and somebody who can learn from you. And you can find a whole host of new kinds of friends when you are willing to look more broadly and have those kinds of biblical friendships. Really great advice. Well, Michelle Howe with us, the name of her book, Navigating the Friendship Maze. Michelle, such a joy to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you. It was a privilege. Have a wonderful day. You too. God bless you. Thank you for joining us here on Janet Mefford today. We appreciate your listening and we'll see you next time.